Before we begin today's show, Scotty and Michael, Kobe and Shaq, LeBron and D. Wade, these are just a few of the NBA duos that were undeniably the real deal. You know, this whole NBA season was supposed to be about who had the best duo. You know, was it going to be AD and LeBron, you know, getting it done? You know, this is something that we're going to find out when the season resumes. And it's going to resume. Um, anyway, you should draft a State Farm agent to your team and then combine with them to create your own ultimate duo, home and auto insurance. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen, I know we got a lot going on right now in the world and we're all shopping online. In fact, I just saw that AT&T started doing two really helpful things for those who want to know how to buy a new phone or device online. And this was our guy, Tim Bontemps, this week. First, they're offering fast, free, no-contact delivery and curbside pickup so that online shopping is as simple and safe as possible. On top of that, they have a flexible return policy so you can shop at ease. You can visit att.com to learn how to shop online and do it from the safety of your own home 24 7 subject to change and restrictions apply and we here at espn have a big thing going on you may have heard about it it's called the last dance and hopefully you enjoyed episodes five and six on sunday night and guess what coming up next sunday at 9 p.m eastern we've got two more episodes on top of all of that immediately after the show airs there's a wrap-up podcast hosted by Jalen and jacoby and it's presented by State Farm and AT&T. Like they do every week, the guys will welcome in director Jason Hare to talk about this week's show and tell all the behind-the-scenes stories of making of the documentary. By the way, they're still in the process of making this. Like, they worked so hard to get this together that they're still editing the last episode. They don't even think that they have the last episode locked yet. It's something Jason has talked about. He's got to take time away from the editing room to put this together. Anyway, you can listen to him talk about all of that and more on the uh, after show with uh, Jalen and Jacoby on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. Joining us from Boston, where his phone was inoperable for two days. And phone being inoperable for two days is bad. It's really bad during a pandemic is Tim Bonteps. Tim, I trust that you rejoined the modern ages in the pandemic with your phone. The phone is fixed. I'm not sure why it shut off and I'm not sure why it turned back on, but it did and it's working. So very uh, good. We are in good shape. Joining us from Naples, Florida. Is it Naples proper where you live? I never I don't remember exactly the city that you're in, well, Bobby Marks. Well, we're definitely not in downtown Naples, the city of Naples, <laughs> because that would right. require me to hit the lottery. So I, we're <laughs> okay. in Naples, but we're in North Naples. How's that sound? North <laughs> Naples. Very good. It sounds lovely. Frank is usually in the winter. Um, so even though uh, we still don't have any games and we're not, you know, there's no playoffs to speak of, obviously. And most of the excitement every week is around the last dance, which we're going to watch after we record this podcast. Um, there's still a lot of stuff happening in the NBA. And um, it's really been a month-long process that Bontemps and I went through to publish a story that we published on Friday, um, looking at the aspects of what an NBA bubble would look like. Call it whatever you want. Call it a bubble. Call it a single-site uh you know, situation called a quarantine zone bubble is the best term. And, um, 
I've wanted to talk about it a lot over this last few weeks, but I haven't been able to. But it's been something that Tim and I have been just pouring work into. And even what went into print in the story was only really a fraction of what we worked on and learned and realized were big problems. And I think if I could come through all of it, I would say two very important things. Um, One is that the NBA right now is not interested in using any resources whatsoever to get back playing again because they want to protect the people who need those resources and to a second extent they absolutely do not want to have even the the minor appearance that they're using resources um that's one thing that i think is important the second thing i think that is important is you know even though uh, Tim and I did a lot of work to figure out the size of the bubble, which was bare minimum 1,500 people to bring back all 30 teams and finish all the regular season games and playoffs. And to get to that 1,500 number, we went through a lot of work. And the reason we need it to be that small is because that's what the experts and the doctors say you need. And right now, the NBA is not interested in having a bubble where the players have to be isolated from their families and their friends. And so those two things, Tim, no testing right now, no interest in a tight bubble. Um, I don't know where we are, but I do not see the NBA returning in the short term if they stick to those two policies. Yeah. I mean, look, this is a pretty simple equation, right? Uh the idea that we're going to be able to go back to any kind of normal situation uh, when it comes to trying to have you know basketball games being played is not going to happen anytime soon. So if the NBA is going to come back, whether it's in six weeks or two months or three months, it's going to have to be in some kind of setting, if not exactly like the one we laid out. It's going to have to be something close to that just because the logistics of this are not going to allow for travel and games and arenas with fans and all the stuff that we're used to with NBA games. Um, and the two quick things I'll piggyback on with what you just laid out from our story. One is that I don't see any reasonable way to bring back all 30 teams and start up the season. Um, finish out the regular season. I mean, you've had Steve Kerr out there kind of already publicly saying the Warriors think they're done. Uh, you're going to have a lot of these, teams that don't have anything to play for, which is at least 10 or 11 teams in the league, solid third of it, um, are going to look at this and say, why are we going to go into some kind of, you know, isolation situation to play for a few weeks when we have nothing to play for? So you have that component of it. And the other thing is, this just all comes down to the testing. And your point about the NBA not wanting to take away from any public resources is, in my opinion, the most important thing that came out of our reporting on this story, which is that for the NBA to come back, that we're going to have to have national testing levels into the seven-figure range. You know, my old place, the Washington Post today said seven figures, two to three million. Seven Uh, figures per day. Right. Seven figures per day. Right. My old place, the Washington Post today said that somewhere between two and three million is what experts they talked to have said. Even if you just say it's a million tests a day, Right. Say it's a million tests a day. Right now, we're at somewhere between 250 and 300,000 tests per day. That is well short. And that's after multiple weeks of building up to that point. So it's going to take a lot of work to get from 250 to 300,000 to one to two million or three million 
to get to the point where the NBA is going to look at this and say, okay, there's enough publicly available testing out there that we can afford to come back and not be a drain on any of the public resources for people that need these tests. And, you know, Bobby, I don't want to be Mr. Pessimistic here because I do think there's a chance that they're going to come back. I think there's a decent chance they're going to have some season played. Um, But when I see folks talk about like, oh, it's going to be in Las Vegas or, oh, it's going to be at Walt Disney World or, oh, it's going to be in this place or that place, it – that's I think that's more enjoyable to talk about because a lot of us know Las Vegas. We know Disney World. We, we 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 can envision how it would go. But until these primary issues get resolved, I don't care what your bubble structure is. Um, I don't see how they're going to do it. And and I, I wish I I wish I could feel better about it. But I literally spent with Tim a month on this. Well, and that's why I think I appreciate you guys writing that on on Friday because I think it's easy for people to throw out the bubble idea and look at Las Vegas and say, hey, you know, they were able to do a G League uh, showcase in late December and have five courts and house all the teams at, um, you know, Mandalay Bay or the uh, MGM and they did it there or, or Look at Disney World. They've got their, the facilities, um, worldwide of sports. Uh, their pre-draft camp was there. But when you read the article, and I, and I texted Tim after the article. I won't tell him exactly. I won't say what, exactly what I said, but it was overwhelming. I mean, I know the league can pull it off logistically-wise. I mean, they're the masters at doing that if they had to. But as you guys just mentioned, from a testing standpoint, which is number one, and then to house, um, if it's 16 teams or if we do 30 teams, you know, we cut down the, you know, the traveling staff that you guys wrote about is basically what the traveling staff used to be like in the 90s, right? You right. had three assistant coaches, a head coach, a strength coach, a trainer, and an equipment manager, right? I mean, that's really it. I mean, like, that's it. Like, and so the day, the day of, the copycat league where everyone built out their um, sports science and their director of science. And that was a department of itself of 15 players. It would be basically eliminated for two months here. Um, so um, it's an overwhelming article. Um, it is a huge undertaking. When we, when I mean, we talked to a bunch of head coaches and, you know, you know, some of them understood this right off the bat. They were like, look, um, we know we're going to be rebounding at these practices, um, I can. I, I know that I would. I would prefer to have my my video coordinator with us to coordinate all of it. But I realize that can be done off site. I would prefer to have, you know, some of my uh, development guys with us who I'm used to having behind the bench and working with at practice every single day. And then there were other guys who were like, "Look, we can't do this." You, you, know, you know, I remember I talked to one coach whose team would not be in the playoffs right now, and he's like, "The rest of the season for us is about development." The whole point of the rest of the season for is for us to develop guys. We have to have our development guys in there. And I'm just like, the do- the doctors are saying you can't. The doctors are saying bare minimum. And, um, you know, and, and that's the thing. Like, one of the things that the experts explained to me, and it was interesting, um, in a lot of cases, when I would ask these experts, and I, I mean, some of them are quoted in the article, but some of them, you know, I talked to people with 15 degrees that we ended up not quoting and, and you know, people who – are world leaders in this in this in this in this uh, topic. They described about how 
really what this is about is what is your risk tolerance? Um, so one of the questions that Tim and I were asking, for example, is, well, if you established a bubble, whether that bubble was with 2,000 people with families or whether that bubble was for playoff teams only and it was you know an 800-person bubble, what happened if a player twisted his knee and had to get an MRI and had to leave? The bubble. I mean, certainly you, you would have certain doctors and medical staff in there, but if you need an MRI, you're not going to have an MRI machine in the Vegas casino, at least to my knowledge. We said, could the player go out and have an MRI and come back? Or let's say the player, for example, needed to um, go to a birth of a child or had another family emergency they had to go to. Would they have to wait for 14 days um, or could you just test them and bring them back? And they would say, I don't know. What's your level of risk? And that's the thing is that there aren't answers to some of these questions. And so one of the things that they talked about was creating layers of protection to minimize that risk as much as possible. So, you know, the idea of taking someone's temperature when they walk into a building, that is not a fail safe because we all know that there are people who have this virus who don't have symptoms, but it's better than nothing. And so if you have testing and you have temperature, and this is one of the things that they said, which would be one of the most fascinating parts of a bubble that we didn't get into in this story. But one of the guys who I talked to who has advised the NBA told me that you would want to to section the teams off in five or six team pods, have them stay in certain hotels or even certain floors of hotels, have them have the same cooks, have them have the same maids, and all enclose that in a bubble within a bubble. And that's a layer of protection. And so you say, why? Why do you need to do that? Is it because you don't want big groups of people around each other? They say no, so that if somebody tests positive or comes down with symptoms and is found to be sick, you don't have to, you know, shut the entire thing down you could just take that whole pod and put him into quarantine and that is a very scientific way of looking at it but then i thought about now think about that think if there if we restarted and there were pods and and the, the pacific division was in a pod and everything was going along we were finishing the regular season and you know you couldn't play your normal schedule but you play your number of games out and a player on the kings unfortunately, or a coach or, or a security official with the Kings came down with coronavirus. They would have to say, Lakers and Clippers, I'm sorry, uh, we're going to have to move on without you. Uh, good luck next season. And that sounds preposterous, right? But that's the kind of level, levels of layers that these people are recommending to do. And so, what was happening, I don't know if this happened with you, Tim, but happened with me, is I would begin to have conversations with people, whether they were people with who, who you know, I, I talked to general managers of hotels who, who have thousand room hotels who, who host NBA teams. I talked to people who worked in television. Um, the longer I would have the conversation with these people, the more pessimistic they would become on the bubble concept being done. And that was happening over and over and over. And it was, I, I was trying not to let it affect me, but I, I couldn't get past it. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's like Bobby said, right? It, it, when you sit down and look at the information, it's a daunting task to pull this thing off. There's no question. It would require a lot of work. It would require a lot of logistics. It would require some luck to pull it off. I think no matter how much preparation you put into it. Um, but I, I do think uh, to, to put a bit of an optimistic spin on this, I do think it's doable. And I, especially a playoff only format, because again, then you're breaking the teams down into pods almost automatically anyway. 
And after each round, you would you would have you would have the the bubble by fifty percent. That's right. As, so you're yeah. so you're automatically reducing the amount of people that are involved, the amount of people that could be infected, the amount of amount of people you have to pay attention to. So all that stuff is good. But again, I just I I every day am looking. You know, Nate Silver every day posts a tweet with the latest stats from this COVID nineteen tracker uh, site and. I look at the testing number every day. And if you want basketball to come back, my suggestion is to pay attention to that number because I think that number is the most important thing for determining whether baseball to, or basketball or any other thing. To reiterate why, Tim, is because the NBA has to get to a level where it feels comfortable using resources. So if you know individual cities are only testing – 5,000 people a day. I know I think my city where I live, Omaha, Nebraska, is testing about 1,500 a day. Obviously, there's not an NBA team here, but um, the NBA wants to wants there to be a level of testing to where they do it and feel like they'd be pulling resources away. So there, there's some number. I don't know if there's a committee that exists or they've come up with something, but there's some number, and the number isn't 250,000 nationally. The number is, as you mentioned, probably in the seven figures per day nationally, where they would feel comfortable thinking about doing this. Well, and look, remember back in March, right after Rudy Gobert tested positive, right, the NBA got some blowback from uh, its various teams who were involved with the Jazz over the prior week to 10 days going to get tests right away and getting tests when regular people could not get tests, right? And I personally thought that was unfair to the league because these people were all in direct contact with somebody who had the virus. You do need to get tested then. But that is the kind of situation that the NBA does not want to get into uh, as it attempts to try to come back, which is why that testing number has to get significantly and you had an e- And you had consider. a key story on this uh, late Thursday night. Um, please brief the folks on that on the importance, the story that you had. Yeah, so Thursday night, the NBA put out a memo uh, telling or advising its teams uh, not to test uh, asymptomatic players and staff and that any tests that they want to conduct uh, need to be done in conjunction with both a physician and an infectious disease specialist, which, again, to this point, all comes back to the same thing, which is that until there's enough testing for the regular public uh, to be able to get every test they need, the NBA is going to go out of its way to make sure that it doesn't take away one test from anybody else. And that's so Bobby, why, again, that's just that that number's got to get higher before any of this stuff can even become remotely feasible, let alone do so, it. So, Bobby, you know, you have a long background of working with, with teams more than two decades one of the things that Woj raised in a story that he published last week was that there was concern about the bubble concept with players not trusting other players of sticking inside the bubble. You know, I don't know how the security is going to be here. I don't know if they're going to lock it down with like, uh, you know, uh, chain link fencing and, you know, guards at the post like a prison. But I mean, especially if you're in Vegas. You know, there's worry about the players saying, "Hey, listen, we're here for how many? How many?" Because uh, Tim and I's analysis said that if they wanted to play the rest of the regular season in the full playoffs, it would be almost three months. Um, worst case, in terms of most days, <laughs> what would you? I mean, that would be a concern, wouldn't it? Be that the players once you get in couldn't keep themselves in? Well, it it would be like Survivor, right? <laughs> I mean, basically, I mean, like instead of looking forward to advancing to the next round, guys, I think you'd be having teams looking forward just to get the hell out of there, right? Like, 
Can, I mean, can you imagine being there for three months or, you know, two to three and months? Well, stuck you'd be that? playing for the playoffs. You'd be playing in the finals if you were there for three still, months. It's but, still, yeah. to Bobby's point, two yeah. to three months in Vegas in the peak of summer. That's a long time. Even it's, Orlando. It, yeah. It's uh, downtown anywhere. Disney. I mean, oh, anywhere, but I was just talking about, about Vegas it. in particular. Yeah, right. I mean that's that's the thing. It's like um, to be able to keep these guys. It's, it's like it's not like you're going to be able to go to downtown Di- Disney and go have dinner with your family, right? Like you're stuck right. within the conf- confines of whatever whatever hotels they use, or and if it's in inv- it's like you will like like are you even allowed to go out by the pool? Like, can you see daylight? I mean, there's so many things. I think the big question, guys, that I had was is that like. What happens? Are right, let's say we do do this bubble concept, but what happens if somebody does test positive? Now, are we in complete shutdown, or is it just that player is going to be quarantined for the fourteen days, or is it the whole team? I think in in the discussions that I had with people, I think that also comes back to the amount of testing that you're doing. I think if you're testing and the amount of risk you're willing to take, well, the, and the risk also. But if you're if you're testing everybody every day, in theory, you'd be able to catch stuff fast enough that you could isolate whatever person was sick and be able to keep going. But if you're testing once a week or once every few days or once every ten days, right? Then you could have a situation where somebody gets it, they give it to a bunch of people, and then you have a bunch of people who have it, and then you're in a much different situation. So one of the experts that we talked to um, who's consulted with some of the pro sports leagues, he says that you, that you need a test every day. And I know Woj reported that the NBA feels that they need 15,000 tests, and there's a reason why they came up with that number. For the whole bubble, they think they need 15,000 tests. Um, and maybe that is exactly what they would need. And they, you know, that, that number didn't come from nowhere. Um, but this guy says you think he thinks you need a test every day. And we talked about 1500 people in our version of the bubble. That's 10 days worth of tests. And that doesn't include whether the families would be in it, obviously. So, um, if you're not testing every day, your risk goes up. How much does it go up? I don't know. It depends on who you talk to. Yeah, and there are and, and there are other ways where you can have you can use less tests, but still, there's like batch testing and different ways you can do. We don't need to get into any of that, but but that but that's what it comes down to, though. It's how much testing there is and how much risk you're willing to take. But the other the other things, and this is a big thing that's happened in China, uh, which has been an issue for their league. One of the scariest things about this entire endeavor, short of a positive test for coronavirus itself, is the false negative um you know one of the things when you talk to these experts they will say we're pretty good at determining that you have the coronavirus there are some false positives that happen um but we're pretty good if if the tests are positive we, we think you've got it but the negative it's not it's not foolproof yet because we're still trying to understand the way the virus works and the incubation period and everything like that. And false negatives scare the hell out of everybody because, again, it's a risk tolerance. You know, you know there's a risk tolerance for everything. There's an actuarial decision we make a thousand times a day. But, uh, you know, that false negative thing is a real concern. So that's why it doesn't just have to be a test. It can't be just a box, you know, of, of tests over there. It's got to be excellent materials, an excellent laboratory, uh, you know, excellent machines, enough chemicals to, to, to use the test so that you don't – you reduce the risk of, of the false negative. And the false negative is a scary-ass thing because it, it's – and it's one of the reasons why you have to have layers of testing and why they want repeated testing because of the concern about the false negative. Um, 
And the other thing that is an issue, and I don't know, I don't know, Bobby, I'll see what you think about this. Some people I talked to said, well, what is the goal here? The goal is to get basketball games, and that's what we want. But are we going to want the basketball games that we get? There's going to be a lot of excitement that comes with the, with the potential return. Um, but ultimately, these are going to be games played in empty gyms. And what's the quality of basketball going to be? What's, you know, these players are, you know, not going to, be used to this environment is it going to be like uh early days of summer league um i i believe that everybody will adjust we we as a society adjust to everything and and the nba will try to figure best practices out to liven the mood and everything like that but you know even getting into this thing, the other thing is we you know when we talked to the tv people they said they could do with as little as five cameras um, now you talk about five camera game. You're talking about what you see in your local high school broadcast. Um, you know, uh, you add more cameras, the game will get better. But guess what? It's more people. And if you're doing it in a bubble, you have multiple courts. And now all of a sudden, you're more people, more tests, more resources. And so I saw Woj mention in his story about robotic cameras. Well, you could use robotic cameras. Well, you can use robotic cameras, but guess what? <laughs> Those cameras have to be maintained. Um, and that means more people in the bubble. So, I mean, Bobby, it's a long way of saying is that even if we're able to accomplish that, there is some concern about the quality that we would have too, and, and you know how much the NBA puts on to that as they examine this. Yeah, I mean, your your games would probably mirror uh, the, the second game in Las Vegas at Cox Pavilion, right? I mean, that's kind of what you're looking at um, from a from a TV standpoint, and that's ba- that's basically played in the equivalent of a of a high school gym. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that is going to be you know from a, a concern standpoint. But I think from a you know from a league perspective, I think you guys are talking about. I think you know guys will adapt. My my big concern is going to be like. How long is it going to take for these guys to get back into somewhat of shape, right? We, we didn't even address anywhere. that. We, yeah. we we set that aside because we, <laughs> we had to put our arms around the, the thing at some point. Yeah, so that's another thing, right? So do we um, – That's you're going to put teams in the bubble, right, for – have a three-week um, type of mini camp, right, a training camp to get going and then we – now do we just jump right into the playoffs here? Um, so, I mean, there's just so many la- different layers that you can kind of peel back here. Um, I think, pro- of course, probably the big thing, as you guys have written about, the big thing is that is the bubble even possible? And I, I think everything else kind of follows once we get the players um, contained. All right, let's 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 find some optimism here. So um, there was a, a report on Friday, I think it was Woj, who said that the owners have started discussions on starting next season, the 2020-2021 season, as late as December, which is sort of mirrors when we started the lockout year back in 2011. Even though it's not been finalized by any stretch of the imagination, the fact that it's even being discussed, I think, is a really good piece of news for the Bucks fans and the Lakers fans and the Clippers fans. 76ers fans who want to have a champion this year. And that means because one of the things that was happening when Adam Silver spoke publicly in his last few times was he kept talking about wanting to protect next season. And if that was the case, there was this, you know, this sort of wall on the calendar. You're going to have to finish by September, early September to be able to get yourself together enough to restart and have a normal season. Now, if they're willing 
to move next season back or even truncate next season, Bobby, it at least makes me feel like they believe that at some point they're going to be able to get something, a champion declared, and they're willing to discuss impacting next season to get that done. I'm going to pull a Lee Corsa right now, Brian, and say not so fast. <laughs> not so fast, my friend. <laughs> and, and the reason why is, it, 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 and of course, it's health. And I looked at Friday night into Saturday morning, the numbers, right? What do the numbers tell you? And, and, the, and I wrote out a little quick sheet in my heading is why the NBA regular season needs to start in December, even if the rest of the of this season is canceled. And it comes down to um, – BRI that we've all talked about, players get 51% of BRI. Um, we are looking at if we start in October, let's say the um, uh, next week the commissioner decides that the season is going to be canceled and we're going to start in October and not have fans in the building for the first three months. Well, we're looking at where we are right now. I mean, we're looking at revenue dropping about a billion dollars. And when you look, take that into account, because you don't, because you don't have tickets. Yeah, when you take yeah. into, into tickets, and, and the formula is basically a two million dollar gate, uh, you know, per team. I think some are higher than that, some are lower. Um, home games that are going to be missed in October, November, December, and that that gives you, you know, that that one billion dollar number. Um, and how that impacts you is is that right now we've got three point three billion dollars in player salaries committed for 2020-21 right when you add in free agency draft picks first and second rounds um that you're going to probably get to four billion dollars in, in player salaries and as you guys know the formula is players get 51 percent of that number now when revenue declines that 51% number is going to get to 59% or 60%. It's, it's exactly the same situation. Right. So, that so we if, they, are if they owe right the, now. if they owe the players 4 billion in contracts and they lose a billion dollars because they can't sell tickets for the, you know, until we, we get to a place where we can have fans, all of a sudden that projected 8 billion in BRI where they would give 50% to the players. Now maybe they only end up with 7 billion. And now we've got a problem because the players get too much. And now we've got consequences. That's if I right. could summarize that. Yeah, that's perfect. I mean, and, and before the, um, the issue with China um, occurred, we were projecting, the league was projecting $8.3 billion in BRI for the 2020-21 season. The crazy thing guys is that, the Board of Governors meeting in uh, April, um, before any of this happened, was going to be kind of the foundation piece when we were going to figure out how much revenue did we actually are they actually losing from China, right? I mean, I know there was a little bit of a drop in, in the cap for, for 2020, but what happens in future years here? And, you know, if we, if we knock a billion dollars off because of no fans in the, in the building and let's get down to 7.2 7 $7 like we haven't really even taken into account the loss p potentially from the, you know that China revenue. So I'm first of all, Bobby, so is, I'm not so happy. Bobby is awesome. I'm just going <laughs> to say that. Uh, and second, I, I mean, look, it's you know back in 2016 when the cap spike happened, uh, I was sitting with an exec in Vegas, and he said, uh, you know, everybody should be planning for a future where the golden goose is not laying eggs like this and this is obviously a very crazy situation and not what anybody expected but to your point bobby like 
this whole system is basically built on the cap either staying the same or going up. And if you combine this season, like let's say even if they start the season in December, let's say that they're not allowed to have fans at games at all next season, right? You look at what happened this year compounded by what could potentially happen next year. And again, without even factoring in what happened with China, you know, there there could be some real long-term ramifications for players, teams, everybody for, you know, how the system is set up because it, it could really rock it in a way I don't think anybody could have ever possibly imagined it would happen. Well, and when you do, like, when I was doing my research back in March and when this originally first like, happened and we're trying to figure out, like, how does this impact the cap? And, the, you know, the consensus was always that, hey, the league and the PA, we're going to figure out and negotiate a set number. And and a lot of that was because a lot of teams, or well, the majority of teams, thought this was going to be a one-off, right? The uh, decline in BRI in, in 2019-20, let's say if there was a $2 billion decline, there was there was eventually going to be a sense of normalcy coming back for 2020-21 in future years. I don't think anybody thought that we would be in a situation right now when we're, we're talking potentially about not having fans in the stands in October, November, December, or even starting the season, you know, later, um, you know, it, you know, closer to Christmas time. But having said that, the NFL is set to announce their schedule and uh, intends to play in front of fans, and they intend to start, I think, September 10th. And um, so that would be the rebuttal here, which is that, um, you know, and I'll just go, you know, Warren Buffett had his annual meeting uh saturday uh which i always pay attention to because i'm in omaha where he is and it's a big thing in omaha and you know they call him the oracle of omaha because of his ability to see the future it's uh, at least from a financial standpoint and one of the things that he said in that in that um very look forward to speech every year which is usually done in front of twenty thousand people live this time it was streamed online um he said right now there is no such thing as prediction i can't predict anything uh, I'm blind right now as to what's going to happen. He, he's talking about the stock market, but I think it applies across the board. Um, we can't predict. You know, we have to prepare, uh, but we cannot predict. And but that lack of information, you have to prepare for the worst. You have to prepare for this. Now, the like I said, the NFL is 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 preparing for the for the best. They're they're believing that they're going to play their games in all of these cities. I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, at least in a lot of their cities, and they think that there's going to be fans there. And um, I don't know who's going to be right. I hope the NFL is right. I hope I hope things improve dramatically over the summer, and that we come up with therapeutics and testing accelerates, and we find out more about what the antibodies mean if you have it with immunity, and that by September we are in a position where we can do that. But um, you know, that's making predictions and it's not there. And so, like, I think, you know, it was funny. I, I did SportsCenter today and there was a NFL writer in front of me who basically spoke what was going on with the NBA in, in terms of optimism. The schedule release is coming in the next few days and Super Bowl is staying on February 10th in Tampa and no games. The NFL is scheduling uh, the full 17 week season, et cetera, et cetera. Then they come to me and I'm like, yeah, uh, the NBA is not even wanting to test his players right now. Has no, you know, and I don't know, like, um, who's, who's the fool? Is the NFL the fool? Is the NBA the fool? I, I don't know, Tim. I don't know. Well, this is just all sets up for you to claim that you're 
ability to never give a prediction on anything until dragged in a corner is the right way to go. So that, that, uh, that's a good situation for you to be in, but I wish no. I, I, I long for the days when I <laughs> said not predicting this game or whatever. Nah, yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, I think all to Bobby's point, right. When we all, when this thing shut down se- seven weeks ago, I think we've all learned a lot in the past seven and a half weeks. Right. And I, I think that's, that's really the biggest thing, which is that we just don't know what's coming, but the, but I wanted to spin it ahead a little bit if we can, just because, you mentioned Bobby's article about um, the season starting in December. And this is something that, you know, came up at the Sloan conference, Steve Kuhn and the Hawks CEO talked about, and um, it's something that people around the league have clamored for, for a while um, to have the league push back its start to start season sometime around Christmas to get away from the NFL. And I was just curious for Bobby's perspective, because I haven't had a chance to talk to him about his article. Do you think this is a good idea, Bobby, long term to just start the season in December to move it back and get away from football? Or do you think that like the clamoring for that is unfounded? Uh, I, I think, guys, I think we're going to be well, first, I think we're going to be forced to do this. Right. Even if some teams are kicking and screaming. And I think the more you the more we go along, the, the more there's there's an appetite for it. I, I actually, you know, when you lay it out and I wrote about it, it I like it. <laughs> I mean, I really like it how if we and, and how we did it was is that we started free agency in September. Right. We started, let's say, September one. Um, we did. We uh, the draft was after free agency. So we, we reversed it and then we went, you know, we did some type of fall league. Um, you know, certainly in this case here, um, the fall league, you know, maybe is not in Las Vegas and maybe it's in maybe Brooklyn host or, you know, or Boston host, the Nets, the Sixers, um, the Raptors, and you just do pods as far as summer league. And then we just jump into, into, um, into the games right around Christmas time. And everything is basically what it basically is, is that everything is pushed back two months. And then we, we, you know, we go into, you know, the finals in August and we, and that's how the cycle goes. I, it's hard for me to think guys, if we do, if we do start in, um, in December and let's say free agency does start in, in September or October here, how do we kind of revert and go back to that July one to June 30th type, you know, schedule without us, losing games here as far as right. you know, unless that, you have yeah. a 60 game season like they did yeah, the we had 66 here. that one year right i think after the uh the 2011 yep. lockout here so yep. i i personally like it the the more you talk to teams um i do think there there is an appetite for that so let me ask you this um one of the options that i think exists and look as adam silver has said everything's on the table here it, it just because i think it's discussed doesn't mean it's going to happen one of the things that has been discussed is, all right, why don't we just shut down for now and start again in the fall and start by picking up this, this season and finishing it and then proceeding right into the next season? Um, basically having a year with no offseason. Now, there would be some complications with that with with the draft and free agency. Uh, you could maybe have the draft – over the summer and then the players wouldn't play right away. Um, while you finished my guess in that scenario was it would just be a playoff only. Um, but as a, as a total one-off sort of solution, uh, because there's so much uncertainty right now, because they don't have the testing, because they don't have, um, you know, 
because there's so many problems with the bubble, why not just say, hey, listen, let's just let everything calm down. Um, because what, you know, what, what's hurting everybody right now is the uncertainty, you know, players are sort of stuck in their cities. They can't go back. International players are sort of stuck here. They can't go back overseas. A couple of them have, but they generally can't go, go back home. Bobby, what do you think the feasibility of that in this, just in a, just a one-off scenario? And that way, quite frankly, I mean, nobody would ever say this, but then if you're the NBA, this is my viewpoint here. This is me saying this. You'd have maybe baseball or football come first through the door or NHL come first through the door. Let them make the mistakes. Let them deal with all the problems. Let them deal with the potential um, backlash of things. And then the NBA could learn from that, come in in its normal time. And yes, you'd be having your playoffs go up against um, going up against football, which is not ideal, but it's better than not having anything at all. Well, I mean, I think it's it's probably a lot better when you look at it that way than trying to force. I feel like we're trying to force something right now that maybe is not um, possible. Um, I think logistically you could do it because basically, Brian and, and, and Tim, is that you do you finish nineteen twenty in let's say um, you know October November. Uh, and then basically remember that in 2011, when we had the lockout, like, but like free agency was like 10 days, right? Yeah, it was, like, it was, it was wild. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, it was a free for all. I mean, so you basically have, maybe you have the draft, um, you know, during the fall or, um, you know, late summer here. And those guys were kind of just in a holding pattern and we finish it off. We have a, uh, we have a two week free agency, and then we kind of jump into, you know, training camp like two weeks later, right? That we do a condensed instead of a, you know, July 1 start of free agency that basically lasts into mid-September. We condensed that all in a, you know, two to three week period here. And I think looking at this group of free agents and the, the, possible, the likelihood is that we're going to see 41 free agents opt into their contract, including players like DeMar DeRozan and Andre Drummond and Gordon Hayward and those big, big numbers guys. It's not a great free agent. What about Anthony Davis? And and Anthony Davis is going to be, I think Anthony Davis is going to be dictated by where this salary cap comes in at. I think that is going to be the, um, the big decision here. And I think, um, I think that is certainly a possibility. I think when you, how you laid it out, I mean, it's, um, it, it can be done. Tim, do you, do you think that's do you think that's a crazy concept? I would vehemently disagree with doing it that way, personally. Okay. Um, just I get what the league would be trying to do and trying to stack things up like that. Um, but look, we don't know. Like to me, the way I look at this, and one of the things to go back to our story briefly that I've just s- said to myself a lot is that I think next season is going to be very difficult to play. Um, unless a lot of things change, right? Because look at all the complications that would come from just trying to get everybody to one place and have everybody isolated in one place. Well, if you have people all over the place, all around the country, um, traveling, right? Even if they're not playing, uh, even if they're not playing in front of fans, you still have to deal with travel and going around and being around all these different people and everything else. That's going to be really hard. And we could have another wave of this in the fall. You know, that seems to be a fairly common opinion among experts is that there is going to be some kind of second wave. It could be worse in the fall, right? So to me, if they can find a way to try to get this done in the summer, I would do that because – Well, look, I, the only thing – I'll, I'll, let me just rebut. Let me just rebut. Sure. You know, NASCAR is beginning 
in a couple of weeks here and they are going to, you know, largely they're moving around in cars, uh, you know, right. from, from city to city and private planes. Golfers, golf is going to restart in, in June. And, you know, again, social distancing is built into the sport to a certain extent and the golfers mostly fly private. But, you know, the NFL thinks they can do it. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, for planning might, purposes, people are, people are not thinking that this sure. is an impossible no, thing. No, listen, and they might be able to, right? But what I was going to say was, it, I would, what I would want to do is try to knock out as much as I could as fast as I could, reasonably, right? I'm not saying, I'm not advocating like rushing it headlong and blindly and being irresponsible. But if, if there's a window to get the season done this summer, to me, that's what I would try to do. Because what I wouldn't want to do is say, all right, we're going to do this all later and then put our, put myself in a position where I'm now backing everything up that much farther. Like I, I think at some point, cause at some point, if you get, say things get backed into 2021, are you going to finish this season in February? Like that seems insane at that point. I mean, it seems insane. I agree, but you do what you have to do. Yeah, I agree. And I, agree. I, I, I mean, I mean, I that's the only thing. Like I don't I have think a pushing it back that, that far is unrealistic. Personally, I agree with like the way Bobby laid it out. You could definitely do it. I just don't think that's a realistic way to do it. Personally, well, I do think that there is a desire, even if it is in an empty gymnasium in Orlando, to have a champion. And yeah, people will say it's an asterisk championship or whatever. Fine. Uh, I th- I do think that they want for uh, about a hundred different reasons, and money isn't really one of them because you know the TV money is you know mostly locked in, you know everything's negotiable. But you know, going into a bubble will probably cost the NBA a bunch of money more than it would make them money because they don't have fans, and they would only be satisfying their TV contract. It's not like they're going to get a bonus. It'd be very expensive to do no matter how you do it. There's a hundred different reasons why they want to do it. Um. And because of that, I do think that there's a decent chance that we are going to see somebody crown champion. I just have no idea how or when. Hey, Brian. Yes. Uh, If we do crown a champion, would you give it an asterisk? No. um, Absolutely not is my vote, too. I talked to one GM, and his team is not going to be maybe clear. His team is not winning the title. Well, I mean, anything. I get one thing I will say about this is anything's going to be possible. I mean, um, you know, we have no idea what these teams are going to look like when they come back. Some team who's an eight seed could, uh, could you know, what they could might look like Brian. Remember when the lockout was lit? Remember during the '99 lockout and they did yeah. that charity game in Atlantic City? And I think Sean Kemp rolled out and like he was like 320 pounds. <laughs> I think that's yeah, I, I, I'm from Cleveland. The the Cavs fans <laughs> and the Cavs organization was horrified. Uh, they didn't have social media back then. They didn't. They they hadn't put their eyes on him in five months. Um, but one GM told me he's like, this is going to be like summer league, and at the end of it, everybody's going to be happy that you won, and then, it's, and then they're going to be happy that, that it's over. Let's get out of here. Um, but part of of winning a championship. This championship would be the perseverance through this. <laughs> you know, if a team is able to get itself together through this, stay in good shape through this, whether they're locked away in an isolated situation or whatever, or they're able to move around a little bit, they would have had to have gone through this and, and won. And so, yes, it doesn't fit the, um, the blueprint of what all the other teams have gone through, which is four rounds or whatever. Um, and, you know, 
that you know trial, but it'll be a trial just the same. And so uh, I don't believe in asterisk with any championship. You know, uh, I believe if you win it, you're the champ because everybody has the same uh, circumstances. So, um, but who knows? Um, I'll, I'll tell you one thing: the rings will be made, and the parade will be had, even if it's just on television with the players going down an empty street. Um, and those players will be champions, and that's all that really matters. There wasn't an asterisk in '99. There wasn't an asterisk in 2012. There wouldn't be an asterisk this year. Yeah, and although I will say 99, Bobby, uh, you know, an eight seed made the finals that year. That's right. So I will say that one thing that would be interesting, you know, if we can overcome all of this, could be a heck of a free for all. You know, some team could, could the team that puts it together. You know, if I was the 76ers and we just had this whole year of like, what? Why could these guys get it together? And Ben Simmons was hurt. Guess what? Your your golden chance could be coming. Put we can throw together. that road record out the window. I also throw the home record, unfortunately, right. out the window. Um, all right. Well, thank you for listening to us. I promise it'll be more uplifting next week. I guess I can't promise that, but I'll, I can't predict. But uh, we'll try. I mean, it was, this it. was uplifting. You basically said that they're going to try. So yeah, I, I would like to say in one final thing that I, I do think that there's a pretty good chance that basketball is back at some point. That's my gut she, feeling. On yeah, it. I, I guess think they're going to. But no I think they're going to find a way to try to do it. But no time soon. I guess, I guess the bad news is I don't, I guess my pessimism is focused on the short term. Um, I don't think there's short term, you know, because there were people saying, oh, by mid May we'll be playing. This, this no. is why, this is why everyone calls you short term Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Bobby. We will speak to you next week. Everybody's going to go watch the last dance and, um, Hopefully it'll be good and uplifting and I'll forget about all this stuff. Um, have a nice day. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective. <laughs>